Alright, welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I do improvised horror stories. Uh, what I do is I pull out random titles from a jar, and then I just make up the stories from there. So I guess it's been a hot minute uh, since I recorded a Quarantine Spook Show episode, uh, but I have been busy stand-up uh, in and around uh, the Philadelphia area, and I also just released um, a satirical paranormal magazine called UFO 10. It debuted at the Portland Zine Symposium last month, and it'll be on sale uh, at the Philly Zine Fest uh, during the first weekend of November. If you want to pick up a copy, uh, it's available online on my Gumroad. Uh, if you click around uh, my website or my social media and all that, you'll find it. But yeah, it's been a bit since I've done a Quarantine Spook Show episode. Uh, a long time ago, I set out uh, a goal to release 100 episodes of Quarantine Spook Show before I shelved it. Not to say there'll be an end to performance or podcasting or anything like that. But as far as this format, you know, it was born during the height of the pandemic. Uh, So now, well, like two, two and a half years later, um, it seems like a good time to put a wrap on it. So if you're listening to this episode, listening to this episode at the time of the recording, and I'll be releasing uh, eight more episodes uh, leading towards the end of 2022. I don't have too much to say besides that, you know, it's October, that's cool, it's autumn. It's even cooler, and it's Halloween, and that's just the bomb, you know. It's bigger than Christmas at this point. Like, it's the best, like, commercially shared holiday for sure. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to ramble, ramble about. I just want to get started on the stories. So let's get into it. This first story is called Candlelit Dinner. was putting more pressure on himself than he really needed to. Or at least that's what he thought. That's what he always thought. Every time he set out to do something, 
He always put a lot of weight and a lot of stock on it. And that would be a good surge of motivation at first. Uh, but then it would be stuck with the weight and stock. And then you start to feel very queasy, very nauseous. He was never really good at stress. concept of eating pressure for nutrients and transposing it into energy that he could use to set forth on whatever uh, purpose he had in mind. But Martin was never like that. To be honest, he never even really tried to be like that. of pressure that came for him. He would just lose his mind to a degree. It was something he did so consistently and it was such an awful way to live. There's an argument to be made and that's why Gina left him. out of the blue, uh, saying that she was open to working things out and uh, she wanted to meet him. Martin was excited about it. But like always, he put so much pressure on himself, you know. I mean, if you look at it realistically, you know, maybe the meeting with Gina would be good and maybe things can work out. Or maybe they won't and we'll get some closure. Or it'll just be awkward. No one individual is really that important. You shouldn't freak out over any kind of basic social uh, interaction. Even if there's a long history of a relationship behind it, sometimes it's just better to take life as it comes. And Martin agreed with these concepts, uh, philosophically. Not by practice. But what he did is he always put too much pressure on himself and never did anything useful with it and then just caved under it. Again, very difficult way to live. So as Martin was preparing for this meeting, uh, they agreed to meet at six o'clock. Bit of an, bit of an early side for dinner. And then he remembered, did he? Did she say dinner? Maybe not. He had this realization while he was shopping. Uh, he bought some candlesticks and some candles, a new tablecloth. spent that whole week cleaning his apartment just for the visitation.
decorate his apartment in a way that he never would have if he just lived alone, or even if he lived with Gina. But in his mind, he was like, okay, I want to get back together with Gina, so it has to be romantic. So he bought a lot of red, uh, red carpet, red tablecloth. sultry as possible both in his living room and his bedroom without it making making it look too much like a pornography set not that that's a bad look or anything but in his mind he wanted to be sultry but approachable you know there's a lot of uh, empty boxes that he wanted to check uh, for how his apartment would look when Gina arrived feel safe, to feel swooned, to feel that a future with him is possible. And that he was ready for real change. case scenario would that be? It would be a nice conversation and a nice way to catch up. But in practice, he just felt the weight of all the pressure he put on himself. And it was painful throughout. Throughout the whole process of shopping and cleaning his apartment and decorating it. He even had the idea to make a his signature style of chicken parmesan simple dish, really. Just grilled chicken breast. Some pasta that he would make himself from tomato paste that he would season himself. Vegan spaghetti. And one single slice of provolone cheese for each piece of grilled chicken. It was his go-to comfort food together and Gina always said she loved it and one time she said how she admired him that even though he cooked such a simple dish he did it in such a specific and deliberate way that she herself could never replicate it and if she was ever out in the world eating chicken parmesan she would always see them as inferior and only think of his parmesan and him every time she would have the dish. As he was cooking the chicken parmesan, the day of their meeting, earlier in the afternoon, he wondered what those three months were like for her when they were apart. Not in terms of how they've been coping, you know, with the absence of each other, or what they've been doing romantically with other people. But when she goes out into a world and has chicken parmesan, does she think of him even still? 
but these thoughts only added more pressure for this big climactic reading, for this big climactic uh, meeting. So at 5.45, he takes a set of matches out and lights two candles, each a tall candle, wedged in its own candlestick on the table in the center of his apartment. He already served two chicken parmesan dishes with his grilled chicken, his homemade pasta sauce, his vegan spaghetti, and a single slice of provolone each piece of grilled chicken, kept in the oven to stay warm, of course. Even picked out a bottle of wine just for them. It was their go-to wine when they were together. Perfect for this kind of pasta dish. By all measurable accounts, he was more ready for this interaction than anything in his life. Still, the pressure mounted on him. Conceptually, he thought that he had it in the bag. But physically, he felt nauseous. Like it was all going to fall apart. And he hears a knock at the door. His breathing stops. Gina's here. already wearing a pretty nice nice outfit you know a nice striped formal shirt that he got at Kohl's with some tasteful blue jeans casual but not too casual of course he tries to fix his hair a little bit or what hair he has left at least and he opens the door and there she is can change a person. She already looked older. Like him, she probably went through her own transformational change. But when he looked her in the eyes, it was still the same Gina that he's known for years. She nodded and she was just like, um, hi. Martin was like, hey, hi, come in, please, please. Gina walks in. She's holding very tightly to her purse. She's like, so, um, yeah. And Martin's like, um, yeah, so how are things? And Gina said, things since... Was like, yes, things since, you know, uh, the last time you were here. And Gino's like, um, good. All things considered. And with you. And Martin was like, yeah, good, you know, I've been, I've been good. Just 
solid boilerplate good. Not great, but good. Eugene, I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I blocked you on social media, so I didn't, I don't really know what you're up to. And it was, it's not personal. I just, you know, it's when I break up so, with someone, it's hard to like see what they're doing after the breakup. He's like, and he's like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I just muted you. So, yeah, I, I get it. But it's good to we can catch up, you know? That'd be nice. And Gina's like, yeah, I hope so. Um, I didn't know what to expect when I came over. And Martin was like, oh, well, what were you expecting? <coughs> and Gina said, well, you know, I know that you like to put a lot of pressure on yourself. Things like this. Martin said, Well, I don't like to do it. It just happens. Gina said, Yeah, right, that's what I meant. It just happens. And Martin said under his breath, Okay, already. And Gina was like, What was that? And Martin said, Nothing, just it's good to see you. You look healthy. And Gina said, Yeah. That's a look I'm trying to pull off for sure. said, well, um, we can have a preamble. I got some wine, the kind that we used to drink. He grabbed the bottle and showed it to her. And she was like, oh, Josh. And Martin was like, yeah, you remember Josh. And Gina was like, uh, I do and I don't remember Josh. We've, we've had a lot of Josh in our time. Martin was like, yeah, good old Josh, Josh wine. Gina set it down. She's like, I'm not a... Yeah, usually I don't... I haven't been drinking too much. Uh, so I hope you don't mind if I pass in the wine. And Mara's like, sure, sure. And Gina said, I'll take some tea. And Mara's like, yeah, I got some tea. Let me just I'll heat up some water. Sorry, do you have like a bottled water or something you put in? You know, like something from a jug. And Martin was like, oh, well, you know, tap water's safe. You know, it's fine. And Gina was like, yeah, it's, well, it's, I mean, like, it's, I, I know, like, the research from, like, the FDA said it was safe and I believe them, but, like, I don't really like the taste. And Martin was like, oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you took the, uh, the Brita pitcher and I just haven't gotten around to replacing it because I don't really mind the taste. was like, yeah, okay, all right. And then Martin said, let me see what I got. Went to the fridge. He said, I have one of these, um, these like pure leaf teas. I went to a Wawa and picked one up. It's like half full if you want some. And Gina was like, is it sweet? And Martin was like, um, not really, no. This isn't the kind of where they add anything. She was like, sure, I'll take that. I was like, okay, do you want ice? And Gina was like, it's a Trump tap. And then Martin said, okay, no ice. Martin poured a glass for her, wondering to himself if it was going well or not. He honestly couldn't tell and doubted that she could either. 
So Martin handed her a glass of uh, refrigerated tea. She held the tea, stood there, nodded, thanks, drank it. And Martin said, do you want to sit down? And then Gina looked over at the table and she was like, oh, this is a, this is a whole thing. And Martin said, well, I knew you're, I, you know, I didn't know what the expectations were for this meeting. Um, you said the phrase, work things out. I kind of ran with it, as I do. So, yeah, I got some dinner in the oven. Um, so I guess we can eat and talk, or talk and then eat. Um, personally, a little bit hungry, so I'm down for whatever. And Gina's like, no, I can, I can eat. bottle of wine for himself he took the two plates of his patent and chicken parmesan out of the oven put them both on the table one in front of Gina and one in front of himself the silverware was already out again he planned the night far into adv- far in advance himself and then swallowed his food and then he said if you're not um if you're not hungry or anything we don't have to we don't have to eat or anything we don't need you know I just again I was trying to be optimistic about this dinner um so we don't have to go through the dinner and just kind of just talk if you want and Gina said no I didn't know we were just having dinner um I already ate he's like oh I didn't I'm sorry I, I didn't know that I didn't again you didn't say too much on the phone. I just kind of ran with it. And Gina said, "Yeah, no, I know. As you, as you do. Um, is this the same chicken parmesan that you would uh, make when we were together?" And Martin was like, "Yeah, this is my my signature dish." And Gina was like, "Yeah, I guess I haven't had chicken parmesan at all since we broke up, so I haven't really thought about it." Martin was like, "Oh, just." Is it too much, like, social media? Like, he didn't want to see the chicken parmesan and think of me or whatever. And Gina said, no, I just wasn't too into chicken parmesan or anything like that. And Martin said, really? And Gina said, yeah, yeah. I mean, I like yours. It's great, you know. Um, but I don't know. I didn't, I didn't really eat it, like, before we were together. It just kind of started happening while we were together, you know. Like, it was like a, like, um, cuisine, um, osmosis, um, it's a phrase cuisine osmosis you know when you're dating someone and you start to eat what they eat they start to eat what you're eating and you kind of blend living habits and all that you know that whole thing you know so I thought that's kind of what that was to me um yeah I didn't really have it before except if I was like a little kid and like I wanted to like stray off the kids menu then I'd go for a chicken parm like that was my shit when I was like 10 yeah, I haven't really had it, like, outside of a relationship during my adult life or anything. Martin said, uh-huh. 
Okay. Yeah, fine. Um, if you get hungry, let me know. I got some. I got some of your um, chips here. And Gino's like, my chips. And Martin said, yeah, when you moved out, um, you pretty much took like all your stuff and like half of our like CD CDs and books and all that. Um, but you, um, some of your snacks you left behind, and I haven't touched them because I don't eat them. You know, I don't eat salt and vinegar kettle chips. You know, why would I? So if you want your chips, you can have your chips. You can have that. It's fine. And Gina said, "Okay. Um, again, I'm not hungry. Um, those chips are probably stale at this point, so you can you can hang on to them or toss them. That's fine too." Martin said, "Yeah, that's fine. That's cool." started digging to his chicken parmesan a little bit and he said so you wanted to work things out and Gina said um yeah no but I did have to talk to you though and he said oh well I thought we were going to talk about you know working things out uh, maybe getting back together and Gina was like well one step at a time I just had a lot of problems uh, with us together. And again, that's why we broke up. Um, but it just felt like we could only, you know, the way I see it, when a lot of couples break up, and I think that ha this happened with us, it's like when you know when you poke like a certain kind of mushroom, like you poke a hole in it, and then like this gas kind of comes out, like this greenish gas. Well, I think when couples break up, that kind of happens to the two people and then just like all this resentment that kind of built up over the years just kind of airs out at once and it's more often than not too much for the people in the couple to handle you know so I just thought okay this is I still care about this person but this cloud of resentment is just like tainting the way we see each other so how about I just get the fuck out of here when like the cloud the dust settles maybe we talk about stuff with more clarity about what we actually want and what was going on in the relationship. Martin said, um, okay, well, what did you have in mind? And Gina said, well, I mean, it's already started, you know, when we broke up, you know, I kind of said some of the reasons uh, why I wanted to leave you. But I feel like, and when I came in, I wanted to be very clear about it. And, you know, maybe you would do something about it, or maybe I would adjust, or we'd find somewhere in the middle. But when I came over, it already started happening again, so I don't really, I don't know, I don't even want to bring it up. And Martin was like, no, no, what did you, what did you have in mind? And Gina was just like, well, you just, you just put so much pressure on yourself like for no reason and if anyone's like in your life during that time like they get like wind of it and they feel that kind of stress for no reason you know it's too much for anyone else and then Martin said well it's not again it's not something that I do on purpose in any way and then Gina said well it's doesn't matter if you do it on purpose you still do it and it's like too much for someone who's like with you and wants to share a life with you you know 
like even like tonight is like the perfect example you know all I said was just I want to meet so we can talk about working things out that's like all I said I was very clear about my language I didn't want to set any kind of false expectations or pretenses and then you just like set up this whole dinner this candlelit dinner this chicken parmesan that I don't even like that much uh, some wine called Josh. It's fine wine, but like I'm not gonna drink during like a breakup period. You know, I need clarity. You know, we need clarity to talk about this stuff. And you're already like chugging the wine. And Martin said, I'm not chugging the wine. And Gina said, Well, it doesn't matter whether you're chugging it or not. But you like invented this whole world of just like what this relationship is and what this meeting was gonna be. You know, so it's just like, how can I enter, re enter a relationship where there's already just like this fixed way of it's going to be and I look at that and I think I can't be a part of that anymore Martin nodded soaked it in he took a deep breath down his chicken parmesan and just started eating it not really saying anything and then Gina said Martin um, you got anything to say about that are you alright what are your thoughts I do want to know what you think that's just kind of where I'm coming from with this So, whoops, I'm just going to eat my chicken. How about be that, okay? And you can have your filtered water or whatever. And she knows, like, Martin, don't do this. Like, I do want to hear what you have to think. You know, I'm not perfect either. I want to hear what you were upset with. Martin said, well, I'm upset that you, um, you know, don't like the way I see the world, the way I kind of contextualize everything. You know, it's just, again, I was trying to be optimistic. Like, I wanted this to be, like, the best night possible. You know, this is like, what, you just thought I was just going to eat a bunch of chicken and then we make love into the night? And Martin was like, well, that's a start, at least. It's one idea. It's what I had in mind. And Gina was like, yeah, see, that's what you had in mind, but that's not what reality is, you know? Sometimes things get hard, and sometimes you just have to work things out, but sometimes it doesn't work out, and you just have to accept it, you know? expectation was to work things out, so I guess that's just not going to happen, is it? And Gina said no. I guess not. She scooted out of her chair and started to leave the apartment. And she's like, wait, wait. And Martin, in his own mountain of pressure and stress, could hear that slight twinge of her voice suddenly he was optimistic once again 
Maybe this was the silver lining that could pull him out of his dread. And he said, yeah. And Gina said, um, this is something I actually have to tell you. Like, this is the real reason I wanted to talk to you. Uh, again, I did want to work things out. That's not going to happen. That's okay. But I called a, uh, I went to a doctor and I had a STI. Uh, it's something new. Uh, they don't know what to make of it. And Martin is like, well, it's like a monkeypox or something, or is COVID an STI now? And she's like, no, don't joke about that stuff. It's, um, no, it's either, it's like a very long name. I'll send you the paperwork, but, but it's serious. So, yeah, again, I'll send you the paperwork, but you're going to want to see a doctor immediately. Um, again, they don't know what to make of it, so... And again, you're my most recent partner. I don't think I caught it from you, but I have it. I didn't really sleep with many people since we broke up, so I'm just telling you, because I care about your safety. That's all. That's, that's the thing. And Martin said, oh, so... We really were trying to look healthy. And Gina was like, well... Again, maybe working things out was my own way of being optimistic. So Martin was like, "No, yeah, I get it. I um, I understand. Uh, thanks for telling me. You've done your due diligence. So I guess that's um, it's a wrap on uh, this thing we have." And Gina was just like, "Um, you don't gotta don't, don't be like that. Come on, Martin." Martin was like, "I'm just look. I'm just facing reality. Like you said, you know, we're over." And I have some sort of new STI that is unpredictable. So, the end. You know, what more do you? What more is there to say? You know. And Gina says, "Yeah, I guess there's nothing to say at this point. So, I'm, I'm just gonna go. Be well. Be healthy. Um, I, I want to keep in touch, but we we don't have to do that." Martin was like, I, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll unmute you on social media, but I don't know. And Gina said, yeah. I don't know either. And then she left the apartment, closed the door behind her. Martin got up and went over and closed his three locks on his door. He sat back down in his half-eaten plate of chicken parmesan. sat with himself thinking that he handled the pressure really, really well. This next story is called We Only Have Everything.
we only have everything. The phrase snapped Martin back into reality. <clears throat> Martin cleared his throat. Sorry, what was that? Barista just kind of looked at him and said, we only have everything, like everything bagels. Martin said, yeah, okay. Uh, give me that. Um, I guess uh, I'll treat myself. I have a mocha with oat milk. A large size. Feeling spicy today. The barista said, okay. It's great. We'll go get that for you. shop with his oat mocha and his everything bagel. But he thought about that phrase, we only have everything. He loved the paradox of that phrase. And when he heard the barista say it, it really struck him with some type of existential wonder. He didn't know how to describe it. It was just a bizarre thing to hear. We only have everything. fixated it on a bit. Fixated it. He fix fixated on it for a bit. Well, he killed time before his doctor's appointment. It helped him take his mind off the pressure of making this appointment and getting tested. He had some blood work done uh, after Gina sent him some files about the STI she caught. He read up on it. It was very severe. So that's why I wanted to treat himself with a nice mocha. But in this case, yes, he was afraid. Yes, he did feel a mountain of pressure. But it was just so much pressure pressure there's so much riding on this one doctor's appointment to find out more information about his blood work to see if he actually had this STI the pressure was so monumental that it meant nothing to him you can only just laugh chuckle about it because whether or not he had or didn't have the STI had nothing to do with him if he had it would just be part of his destiny and so it would go across the street to the administrative building where the office was. He checked in with the secretary and then a few minutes later she ushered him to the back office. He was struck by how bland the walls and the floor was. How sterile it looked. I guess that's how doctor's offices are supposed to look. But it was just so striking to him. somehow reminded him of walking through Sears or J.C. Penney's when he was a kid. That was like how everything was white and flesh-toned. But it still felt like off to him. 
so many horror games that take place at old department stores. Anyway, he was pondering the last time he went to a Sears when the doctors came, doctor came in. It was something that was helping him, uh, fixating on something else if something was causing too much pressure for him. It was actually being helpful. He didn't want to steer it into the direction of it being a distraction from bad things that were going on, but he was trying to change his ways a little bit. Not for anyone but himself. Just so that he could maneuver through the world a little bit happier. So the doctor said, Ah, Martin, how you doing? Martin said, I'm a good doc. And the doctor said, Hey, doc. And said, ha 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 ha, yeah. He laughed, but that was like the 400th, like the hundredth time that he's heard it at a doctor's office throughout his entire adult life. Yeah, Doc Martin, like the like the shoe. That's us. A couple of couple of cards here. The doctor said, no, but seriously, how are you doing? And Martin said, I'm just uh, nervous. Just wanted to see if I have this thing or not. Uh, my ex, who had it, she sent me a bunch of paperwork and kind of freaked me out. So if you have some information that I don't have it, that'd be great. You know, I can just move about my life. Um, but if I have this thing, I'm going to have to adjust things accordingly. So let's find out if I have to do that or not. Uh, the doctor sat down and he said well that's again that's why we called you in um, you're going to have to make those adjustments unfortunately Martin just soaked it in he said okay said now there's things we can do but this is such a new disease or infection rather um there's no cure yet we're working on a vaccine so but it's gonna be i can't really give a timetable about how soon that'll be it's not as widespread as something like covid or monkeypox but it's very severe no question about it martin said okay so um so what's what's it what's it called again? The doctor said, uh, flesh rot. Martin said, ah, that is not a disease that pulls punches. No numeric uh, attributes to the end or anything like that. No gimmicky name. Just straight up flesh rot. The doctor said, yep, it's, uh, rots your flesh. Uh, doesn't happen immediately. Uh, but there's some medication that we can give you. But it'll, it won't be good. Well, that's, I'm sorry. I, sorry, Martin. I didn't mean to say that. Martin said, no, I, I gotta hear it, you know, if I'm gonna die from this thing. And the doctor said, well, it's, the percentage of you dying from this thing is far from zero. But it's not 100% guarantee. So we can, again, we can do treatment. Um, in the off chance, if we, 
we can prolong, uh, or uh, rather put off the flesh rod for as long as possible. And then if there's, by some miracle or some luck, we get a vaccine, we give it to you, it should go away pretty immediately. Um, again, I don't have a timetable on it. I just want to keep your expectations realistic. I'll take the medication. Um, I just kind of know just what the fuck. Sorry, words are failing me, Doc. The doctor said I, I understand. Um, Martin thought about it. He was gripping the reality of this new disease that he had, flesh rot, what it would mean for him, his life, and how soon it would end. He was also trying to fixate on something else. And he thought, maybe if I don't go to a doctor's office and call them Doc, maybe they won't make the connection between Doc and Martin for the shoes. So maybe I can just avoid that joke altogether together if I just go by their name. So Martin went back to his apartment that day. Uh, he picked up the trial uh, prescription medication immediately. Again, it was a trial run. Uh, he, was, he was able, he was given that bottle for free uh, before it tapped into his insurance. Uh, it was technically an experimental drug, so it was cheaper. But he didn't know what was going to happen. He, he was at a place where he just gave up um, in terms of thinking that the flesh rot will not happen go away quickly, or his life won't be ruined by it. But he stood by his sink uh, in his bathroom that night, filled up a cup of water, opened the first pill, got, got took out the first pill, and he was like, alright, bottoms up. And he had it. He was meant to take it every week. Felt fine for that first month, and then he was starting to feel a little bit itchy uh, in his crotch area. He didn't think too much of it, but then he started to feel something clogged in his fingernails. And he looked at his fingernails, and they were skin. He checked his crotch. He's like, "Oh my God, it's happening!" Already, he was getting. smartphone and called the doctor's office and uh, the doctor answered and was just like um <clears throat> uh, hello and Martin said yeah uh, doc um doctor uh you wanted me to call you whenever I had uh the flesh rot started well it's happening it's happening it's happening near my garage and the doctor said okay just don't whatever you do don't scratch it all right that's the big thing put, put a bandage on it cover it up put some ice on it just don't touch it said that's gonna be hard and the doctor said just just do it then he hung up so more I did what the doctor said I put a bandage on it wrapped it up put some ice ice pack on it too and just tried to sleep he felt he was itchy all over all over his skin 
was being bit by a swarm of bedbugs or something, but he just endured it. And he only managed to sleep for two hours. But when he woke up, only his neck was itchy. actually aren't so bad, huh? Who'd have thought? He would take the medication once a week. But still, he would feel his, his flesh rot.
fact, I haven't thought about it. I don't know. Maybe? It doesn't seem so. And the doctor said, okay, we're going to have some... I've sent some associates to pick you up. We're going to take you to the hospital. We're going to do some analysis on you just so it doesn't affect your brain. And Martin said, okay, yeah. Um, hospital immediately, are you sure? I mean, like, I'm itching here, uh, but I got bandages on. Uh, I'm take the medication. I've been pulling all the stops just to keep this thing at bay. And, the doc- and then the doctor said, we're just going to gonna pick you up and take you to the hospital I'll look at you myself we'll we'll make it quick don't worry that kind of disturbed Martin the phrase we'll make it quick he heard a car uh, outside of his apartment building he looks out the window and he saw a van and two men step out affected his brain we deduced that uh, they were going to try to put him down the phrase this might this will be quick that's really what struck him he's trying to fixate on something else he tried to stare at the candle uh, tried to stare stare at the candle you know tried to think about Doc Martens you know even thought about Gina but he was like he felt this pressure and stress uh this whole scenario that these dudes were going to come to kill him because of his flesh, flesh rot. And he was just like, no, no, it's not invention. This is exactly what they're going to do. So what he did is he grabbed and he packed a quick bag of belongings, just some essentials, money, uh, locked it behind him. Only one of the th- three locks that he had. And he hid by a nearby stairwell. The two men went up the elevator and arrived at the hall. Martin could hear them. And they heard the two men knock at his apartment. They knocked again even louder. And eventually they bust his door down started going to his apartment. And Martin was just like, oh shit, oh shit. And he went down the stairs, uh, left his buildings, just started running through the neighborhood. Didn't really know where else to go. If the flesh rot went to his brain, he didn't know what that would even mean that would do for him. He felt itchy all over, this tremendous pain on his skin and his flesh. And he even started to feel that itchiness inside his brain as an organ. He felt like his thoughts were getting more easily derailed as the night went on. He got a sandwich at a Wawa and tried to think things through, but 
was getting harder and harder to think. He didn't want to cave under the pressure again, so he was fixated on the phrase he heard the day that he got his diagnosis. Just like the phrase, we only have everything. As he felt his mind was disappearing, he still clung to the phrase, we only have everything. This next story is called, Who Invited Barry Donegan? access to the global knowledge of what flesh rot was and how it impacted society was limited to him. The pieces of his mind were his brain that had the ability to read were severed. Many pieces of his brain and mind were severed. Flesh Rod took in. However, he still managed to uh, fixate on the phrase, we only have everything. He would think about that phrase every now and again. It somehow served as an anchor point to him and his identity. He didn't know if other people with Flesh Rod, like him, had this type of anchor. He'd like to think that he was unique for it but he wasn't sure. And his life did change with flesh rot, as it, with anyone else who caught it, which turned out to be many, many people. As he'd walk around through the neighborhood, he would get used to people calling him a zombie. That's what people who had flesh rot when it affected their brains, specifically. That's what they were called. He had the flesh rot all over his body, his organs, yet he didn't die. He never thought that zombies were could ever be a thing that were real. And he never thought that not only would he be one, but he would also be cognizant enough to interpret the experience. As a day-to-day physical experience, it wasn't as bad as he thought it'd be. Uh, His body was in so much pain uh, that it entered into a form of shock that was just a numbness all over. He didn't have many feelings in his his flesh or his skin or anything like that. Just very, like, dense impulses, like if if his whole body was on Novocaine or something. He didn't have to go to work. He didn't have to eat. He 
need shelter. If he was rained on, snowed on, it didn't bother him. He couldn't really feel hot or cold. The flesh rot for him was so severe that he was basically a walking corpse. Almost, pretty much literally. He didn't recognize the neighborhood that he would wander around in. Eventually, he would spend long stretches of time walking if he couldn't find food or victims or brains or anything like that. But he would exist in clusters of other zombies. You know, there's a form of community there. He didn't know how many brains that he needed or flesh to eat uh, for sustenance. It was just a constant state of starvation. That was the only semblance of physical pain that he felt was the hunger for living tissue. Other than that, he was fine with being a zombie. You know, he wasn't doing too much with his life anyway. He would just go to work, go back to his apartment, and then he would just sit and be. So as a zombie, nothing really changed for him. If anything, he was more adventurous as a zombie. He wandered around more, got to see more sights. He'd be more social and interact with other zombies. Even though he couldn't fully articulate his speech anymore, he would just kind of have his hollow grunts, and they'd have their hollow grunts. But he could decipher the tone if it was like a good grunt or a get-away-from-me grunt, you know? The humanity was still there, but... Anyone who wasn't a zombie refused to see it. He hoped one day that there'd be a cure for his flesh rot, for his zombieism. Maybe it was possible, but he didn't think he would live long enough to see it. But he hoped that any other zombies out there who were cognizant still of who they were, living as zombies, hopefully they found a way to become fully living human once again. But for himself, Martin was not biding his time. He's just like, you know, I'm going to live out the rest of my days as a zombie, you know? That's just going to be how it is. He accepted it. It's actually less stressful being a zombie because his mind couldn't invent all these ways of... They couldn't invent another reality for him to encase himself in uh, that would derail once real reality hit. He didn't invent all these box, all these empty boxes, so he had to check... Uh, when he had a goal in mind. His mind wasn't even really capable of inventing a lot of reasons to stress him out. That was really the gist of it. So as a zombie, he was actually happier than he was as a living human. It was a much simpler simpler life. He thought about the Dawn of the Dead movies, or the Living Dead movies. He just thought, yeah, maybe this is the way to be. I don't know. He hasn't been in a shopping mall yet, though, but... Still, he wandered. Again, he didn't know what area he was in at this point. It was definitely like a set of strip malls. uh, A mall that was recently demolished uh, to be Sky Rises, but the construction never uh, completed. There's an old Sears kind of like a mall, but not quite. 
He's on old Sears and an old JCPenney's. An old mall property that was meant to be something else, uh, meant to be demolished, but I think you read in a newspaper once that the, the, the real estate people ran out of funding or this or what have you. Anyway, it was an abandoned mall with a 90s and aughts aesthetic. It's really just a bit wandered around, he'd look in the dumpsters for flesh, he'd find a rat every now and again. And there were other zombies walking around, you know, if there's any big, if there's any big open spaces around, like large buildings, uh, the zombies were smart enough to know that people were probably hoarding in there. So zombies would congregate in dense populations around places where people were likely hiding that enough zombies could smell their living flesh and that's what drew them in again it was just the pure starvation for human flesh or living tissue it's really what drew Martin these days he probably would have hated to admit it if he was still a living human but it made his life much much simpler approaches this one cluster outside of a Sears an abandoned Sears a Sears that was even abandoned before the zombie apocalypse but there's like a small cluster of zombies kind of looking in the windows and all that seeing if there are any people in there um, he didn't see any people he thought about the COVID pandemic and wonder if people were actually still getting to work despite a zombie apocalypse he really wouldn't surprise him but he had no way of knowing saw like a secretary uh, in a Sears he just like tried to wave he's tried to wave every now and again but he can only kind of just like lift his arm like maybe by like 30 degrees not really enough for a functional wave Zoe liked the idea he would like he would like to live in a world where zombies and humans could just hang out and be together but he didn't again he didn't see that happening in his lifetime whatever that meant now. But anyway, he was outside the Sears. And he was looking in the window. He saw another zombie, and he grunted at the zombie. The zombie grunted back. It was like a pleasant grunt, you know. And then Martin heard a grunt from his other side. And he turned over, and he saw it was Barry Donegan. Now, Barry Donegan was someone that he knew uh, before his zombie life. Um, it was someone that he worked with at the office. Didn't really think too much of him. You know, just like, again, you know, I don't know how much camaraderie bank tellers have together. But, you know, Martin and Barry Donegan didn't really get along. Or rather, Martin didn't really like Barry Donegan. But Barry Donegan kept kept making conversations with Martin at the bank and Martin was just like uh-huh yeah he didn't think the bank job was even that bad except for Barry Donegan constantly making conversations talking about random shit just annoying him had no sense of boundaries at all like if you talk to someone and you're kind of they can tell they're not super interested in what you're saying and that's your cue to like oh maybe I can change the subject to something we were both more interested or something you know give them a throw them a bone or something but Barry Donegan did not have this bone at all 
you know, he just talked about random shit over and over, you know. And there'd be inside jokes that Martin didn't consent to at all, things that he didn't think were funny, but things that Barry Donegan would just keep bringing up. And he thought it was annoying just as a human, just living in the world, just like, oh, this guy again. But as a zombie, it was even more so, because they weren't trapped in the confines of work and they weren't trapped in the confines of a human lifespan. So Martin just thought, in his own zombie way, how much longer am I going to deal with this guy, Barry Donegan? So Barry Donegan approached him, and he did like a very affirmative grunt, like, oh, okay, man, you know, that kind of grunt. And Martin was just like, ah, no, he couldn't even be polite anymore, even as like a zombie. Like, I don't, you know, not like zombie polite, like zombie politeness exists in this world. Uh, Martin was something was Martin again he was very proud of how cognizant he was as a zombie he didn't know if this applied to other zombies but he was very proud of his ability to be polite and cordial to other zombies you know and still have a good solid connection but just he did not want to share that with Barry Donegan at all he did give a very like angry grunt you know and he didn't know how much Barry Donegan was in there to, to receive this anger to just to get him to shoe off or anything. But then again, zombies aren't one for boundaries, you know. Can't really shoe off a zombie, especially if you're a human. But then Martin thought, no, there's definitely Barry Donegan in there because he wouldn't be this annoying and persistent. Every time they're in, like, a crowd or a cluster or even just open space, Barry Donegan would just be like, oh, hey, and be all like, sup, man, just grunt that way. And Martin would just be like, no, get out of here. So outside of the Sears... Martin just started to walk off, just not even dealing with Barry Donegan. And Barry Donegan, the zombie, gave like a confused grunt, like, oh, what's going on, man? And just started following him. And then Martin just be like, oh, no, and they just keep walking. And neither of them had to sleep. Neither, neither of them needed rest. They didn't have anywhere to go unless, uh, unless some human tissue exposes itself. So Martin just kept walking through the parking lot. And Barry Donegan kept following him. And Martin just thought, maybe if I loop around the J.C. Pennies, I can lose him. But Barry Donegan was close on his tail. They were pretty much... Barry Donegan was just following Martin across the parking lot, back and forth. Martin liked wandering around the small parking lot. He liked the aesthetic of it. it. Made him think of his childhood when he was dragged to Sears for so his parents could get air conditioners or whatever. But, you know, he couldn't really just enjoy himself in this vapid, empty, cracked asphalt parking lot because fucking Barry Donegan was always fucking coming up to him, you know, and bothering him. So this chase went on for three days three and a half days Martin didn't know what to do this was new territory for zombie etiquette you know most zombies are kind of just like you know they just kind of hang out and they're just like oh yeah you know but Barry Donegan was just so persistent kept grunting at him and they didn't have any phonetic speech so Martin didn't know what the hell he was talking about at all
so Martin just had to try leaving the parking lot. He wondered if Barry Donegan would keep following him. And he did. For about another week, Martin walked across the highway. Walked down the highway. He had no sense of direction. He didn't know where he was going. All of his sense of map directions were shot. He was really upset that he'd probably never find his way back to the Sears parking lot area. He would just wander down this highway. But still, Barry Donegan was on his tail. that crashed on the highway. It was a smoking jeep. Martin inspected it. He didn't know how far, far away Barry Donegan was following behind him. But he saw that there was a driver who was knocked out. Half knocked out. She was woozy. You know, still trying to talk to herself. Then when she came to, she saw Martin in front of her. She freaked out and just kicked him. And then grabbed her shotgun and then tried to load, load it up real quick. And Martin, not really caring about that, he was just like, ah, oh, flesh, wonderful, finally, starving. And he goes to, he goes at, starts to walk towards her, but she's still struggling with the shotgun. And then what happens? Fucking Barry Donegan comes in from behind and he does another grunt. And again, Martin has no idea what he's talking about. Like, not even a little bit. And then Barry Donegan starts to go after this woman. And Martin, you know, what he's found to be true with everyone with flesh rot in the brain, everyone who's a zombie, they put the starvation for living tissue above everything else. They die for it. They drop what they're doing for it. It's their number one priority. However, in that moment, Martin was cognizant enough to try to get Barry to just, like, fuck off, you know? So he deterred from his own flesh pursuit and then just shoved Barry Donegan. this and she was confused she's never seen zombies fight each other in any way or one fending off the other and then she shot Barry Donegan when he was on the ground and then she loaded the shotgun again and aimed it at Martin trying to save me and Martin was cognizant enough to understand this phrase so he grunted uh, trying to say no but she took that as an affirmative grunt 
uh, which is totally off uh, based on how other zombies communicate. Like, if you said that to another zombie, like, that zombie would determine, like, oh, he said no. But this woman didn't understand the subtle intonations of zombie speak. And she was like, you don't want to, you don't want to eat me, do you? And then, again, Martin grunted at her, trying to say, no, I'm very hungry. But again, she interpreted that as, no, let's be friends. I'm actually don't want to be a zombie. Whereas it couldn't be further from the reality of the truth. Martin was enjoying himself as a zombie for the most part. And then the woman said, maybe we can save you. Maybe we can save all of you. I work at a lab and we're trying to find the cure for flesh rot. You know, if you can understand me maybe if you put hide come in the trunk uh and then we can try to drive off i'll try to get the car working again maybe we can beat this thing and her guard was down just long enough so that martin uh bit her on the neck and then did his old zombie thing and just started eating her flesh and all that just because that's what zombies do you know maybe another zombie who was as cognizant as him would have taken her up on her offer but you know, Martin just really wanted that living tissue. He was starving for it. But after he finished his meal, he started walking down the highway. And he thought about maybe another zombie would have, who was cognizant of him, would take her up on her offer, but he, again, he was starving. One thing he did think about was how he was cognizant enough to shoo off Barry before uh, going after Living Tissue. That was something that even surprised him. It defied everything he knew about flesh rot in the brain or being a zombie or anything like that. he was appreciating it now. And in this moment of reflection, in this moment of spiritual openness, he got a glimpse of his environment a little bit more. He saw all the wreckage, all the carnage, all these crashed cars, and all these dead bodies around. Some of them were humans that were feasted on, and some of them were zombies that were shot. But he saw one zombie that looked pretty familiar. In his zombie brain, he thought, no, it couldn't be. And he saw Gina. She was lying on the ground, leaning against a guardrail. She had flesh, fresh, flesh, uh, again, she had flesh rot before him, 
so she was already plenty zombieified. But he was happy to see her. So we approached her. She didn't know if he was sleep she was sleeping or something. He thought, oh no, she must be dead dead. It made him sad to see her. He felt a sense of mourning. You know, because even though their relationship didn't work, uh, in their living tissue phase of their lives, and even though she gave him flesh rot, technically, as he later learned, you know, he still... He thought maybe things could have worked out if they both encountered each other, each other in their zombie forms. And he got a closer look at her, and he saw that she had... She was cradling a package of frozen chicken parmesan. Now, zombies don't have the cognizant ability to heat up uh, frozen food or anything. But the message is pretty clear. While she also surely had a dying starvation for living tissue, she also had a craving for chicken parmesan as well. let out a grunt. He didn't know how to interpret it. It was clearly a funerary grunt. He found a nearby tarp and covered her body with it. And then Martin kept walking down into the sunset. Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi, and good night.